You're listening to an Anderson Entertainment production. This episode, we're looking into the darkness in Fab Facts. It's a dog's life in law enforcement in The Randomizer. And our guest is conductor George Morton. Oh, music to my ears. That's all coming up in Pod 213 of the Jerry Anderson Podcast. Let's get started. Let's go. Spectrum is green. The Jerry Anderson Podcast with Jamie Anderson and Richard James. Hello. Uh, subscribe to us on whichever channel Ooh. you're listening to us on. Leave a nice cool. review or a rating. And why not copy the link on your socials and tell all your friends what you're listening to? It's the Jerry Anderson Podcast. What on earth? Look at you with your new style intro. Straight in. Yeah, why not? I mean, go straight in with the ask and then give them some content, which means we deserve the ask later on. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, it's exactly what I'm thinking. Yeah, why not? I, I thought so. Goodness me. Well, the man who just asked you to do all those things is Richard James. Yes, that's me. And the man who's just told you that the man who's just asked you to do all those things is Richard James is Jamie Anderson. (laughs) Brilliant. Uh, Thank you very much. Uh, And over there, now, strangely Hmm? today, he's got a long length of rope, which has got a little ribbon tied in the middle of it. It's Chris Dale, yeah. and I think he's trying to organise a miniature tug of war between my dogs. I mean, oh, he is, Chris, isn't he? That's quite sweet. Clearly, we're not keeping you busy enough if you've got time to do a doggy sports day. But okay, <laughs> uh, we'll look forward to the result of that sometime later in this podcast. So when he's done <laughs> with his doggy tug of war, I mean, who knows? He, he's very random in the things that he do, does. If you don't know, notice that week to week, he is very random. And one of those reasons is because he's the randomizer. And at the end of this podcast, he'll be bringing you a random episode of a random Jerry Anderson show. And he'll be saying marvellous things about it. Well, unless it's the protectors or torture, then he'll be saying probably unpleasant things about it. Yes, that's uh, true. But between... The bread of our introduction, which you're consuming right now, and the lovely oh. other bit of bread, probably with the butter on, uh, mm-hmm. that Chris has got at the other end of this podcast, there's all yes. sorts of delicious, flavourful fillings for your yes. ears. It's, it's what are those a nice, things? A, a nice layer of ham, I suppose, in my case, wouldn't it be really quite appropriate? Uh, I, I know that's what you're getting at. Uh, anyway, yes, well, we've yeah. got all sorts of stuff coming up. Of course, we've got uh, some Jerry Anderson newsy news, news, news coming up a little later on. We've got Fab Facts any moment now. I don't know why I'm saying these out of order. That sounds rather strange. We've got the randomised little later as uh, jamie has intimated uh, we'll be hearing from our wonderful podstrons of course who've been emailing us at podcast at jerryanderson.com they've been posting on our facebook group and they've been hashtagging us jerry anderson podcast over on twitter and commenting on our youtube channel too so i, I should be uh, reading out their comments uh, as we go along and your interview this week jamie is with george morton Certainly is with mm, conductor George Morton, who, who was our conductor. Yes, he was our conductor uh, at Standby for Action. And uh, if you were there, you may have seen him uh, wearing a Thunderbird One T-shirt in the yes. second half of the concert. Yes. Uh, now, because we're a bit pressed for time this week, 
mm. and we're having to record this episode early, I haven't actually spoken to George yet. So let's hope that he doesn't cancel. <laughs> I'm sure the interview will be absolutely fascinating. But uh, to be honest, Potter, you're going to be hearing it for the first time at the end of this podcast, which is the same time as I will, basically. Yeah. So yeah. can't wait to chat to George because I literally haven't done it yet. No, great. Well, that's very exciting. Have you ever done that before, I wonder? Announced an interview before you've done it? I suppose it must have happened. It's happened a few times. Very rarely, yeah. though, because yeah, uh, yeah, we're normally right. a little bit better organised. Uh, <clears> but, <throat> um, yes, yes. it's my fault. It's my fault. The week we're, we're recording this is a, a bonkers week where I'm actually in uh, five cities over six days and wow. not at home. So I couldn't wow. record during the week. Yeah. And I'm not as proficient as you used to be when you were on tour and we were recording from all yes, manner of places. That's right. Other people's living rooms and yes, that's right. That was odd, wasn't it? I forgot we did that. <laughs> Dress, dressing rooms even, I remember. Oh, those yeah, are the days. Yeah. <laughs> yes, because you sometimes get your call, wouldn't you, when yeah. we were recording? <laughs> that's right. Now, I don't I know if you can hear the podcast in, the in my costume. Yeah. You did, yeah. Can you hear in the background the dogs getting very excited about this tug of war? Yes. Yes, mm, yes, they're yeah, warming up. He's winding them up. They are indeed. Uh, now, while they warm up for their tug of war, <laughs> I've got something very special for you. It's a fab fact. Oh, right. Go on. Oh, <laughs> why'd you do that to me? Now, time for this week's fab facts. Oh, the dogs are so excited. It's a book, bit of fab facts coming up where I've got some fab facts in a book and Richard will shout fab and that'll stop me flicking and it'll land on a page and then we'll read a fab fact. Is that a good explanation? Well, that's pretty good, yeah. I think I followed that. It was a bit rambly, but, you know, you all know the drill by now. Yeah. Winnie out there is so excited about this. It's uh, <laughs> it's very... It's 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 lovely to have some barking dogs, actually, back again. So. <laughs> oh, yes. Thank you, Winnie. Uh, <clears throat> right, here we go. Are you ready with your fab, Richard? Born ready. Then here's the flicking of the fab facts. Fab! Ooh, ooh, ooh. Hmm? Ooh! Hey, ah, what? what have I done? Mm, always hey. a good one. Is it? It's always a good one, but today's, mm, I think, is, is particularly interesting. Yeah. Oh, God. This is a great... I'm going to do a bit of audience interaction, and you must play along, Podstron. Are you ready? Yes. Good, I thought so. Hands up, who loves UFO? There we go. A nation yeah, of hands just raised. Yeah. Impressive stuff. Yeah. Well, that's, of course, because we all love UFO, don't we? Uh, and one of the reasons we all love UFO is Ed Bishop's fantastic performance as Commander Ed Straker. Uh, probably, I would say, one of the greatest and most interesting of all Anderson characters. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Other than I, Hubble Orin, of course. I, in Space yeah, no, I, think, I think that's fair enough, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Ed himself was one of those people that nobody seemed to have a bad experience of uh, either meeting socially or working with. Uh, and that may explain why Dad and Sylvia were so happy to entertain any suggestions or ideas that he had regarding the character and also why they kept inviting him back for various projects. But in addition to his acting work, Ed was also rather politically active. Mm -hmm. He was strongly opposed to warfare and weapons, probably one of the reasons he got on so well with Dad. So with that in mind, it may surprise you uh, that in forming the character of Ed Straker, he actually took inspiration from a documentary he had recently seen about nuclear weapons. Oh. Now, we are not sure what documentary this was exactly, but it featured a reporter accompanying two technicians down into an American missile silo. These are the guys who, if the order came from uh, on high to press the red button, would actually be pressing the red button to launch the missile. Ooh, right. So... These technicians showed the reporter around the complex and eventually the reporter asked the question, which they'd probably been on his mind for some time. 
So why are you each carrying a gun? We're miles underground, all alone, in what is essentially a sealed bank vault. Who do you think is going to break in? One of the technicians then replied, Oh no, the gun's to shoot him, referring to his colleague, in case he goes crazy. Wow. Wow. The reporter then asked about the enormous responsibility of not just looking after the missiles, but potentially actually having to fire one someday. You press this button, the missile's launched, you've got no idea where it's going, but you know it's potentially going to incinerate millions of people. Do you have any qualms about that? He asked. And without missing a beat, the technician coldly replied, No qualms. Wow. Interesting guys, right? Anyway, Ed later said that that interview and the attitude of the anonymous missile technician was the germ of his portrayal of Straker. Uh, Mm. And you can definitely, definitely see that reflected in the character, particularly in the very early episode before they started fleshing out his backstory. But it also seems to have extended out onto the series as a whole. There are several episodes, for example, where a shadow operative is, uh, or even an innocent civilian, is considered expendable if it means stopping the aliens or completing a mission. So, Mm. while a lot of the show's darker and more downbeat moments would have come from the writers, it's rather interesting, I think, uh, that Ed was already thinking about bringing the same darkness to Straker before the cameras had even started rolling. And that's all thanks to some random American missile technician. A real person who was a massive influence on the character of Ed Straker, but as Ed himself admitted, probably wasn't much fun at parties. Well, I mean, that's a cheery (laughs) fat fact, isn't it? (laughs) Great. Well, thanks for that. <laughs> but that, oh, that's interesting. So, I mean, though. yeah, so it's quite an emotionally cool performance, isn't it? And I think that really uh, speaks to, to the genius of, of Ed Bishop because how can you take an emotionally remote character and yet make it one of the most popular characters in, uh, in well, yeah. uh, certainly in Jerry Anderson's um, uh, genre? How do you do that? That's yeah. very clever, isn't it? Well, he was a, a clever guy and very talented, and his dad mm. said multiple times he should have been, been a, a, like a Bond, really. You know, he, yeah. he had all the, the talent and the charisma uh, yeah. and, you know, was a nice guy to work with, so he should have gone really far in, in Hollywood or certainly in, in Pinewood. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. And a great friend to, to, the, uh, to the fans, I remember, as well. I, when we were shooting Space Precinct, I remember we went along to a convention in Watford, and uh, he was there then mm. and was very popular with the fans and was very, very friendly to them, which is rather nice. And I, sadly, didn't get a chance to talk to him, and I wish now, of course, that uh, I had. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. I, I, I met him a couple of times mm. at conventions, and again, mm. always very kind and friendly. There's a picture of me and Dad and him somewhere. Nice. Um yeah. yeah, but uh, yeah, very talented guy, and it's it, it, it was it was really interesting going through that fab fact actually, and kind of thinking, God, yes, you know, I could actually really see that yeah. cold disconnectedness yeah. doing, you know, the the job that matters and getting it done, yeah. no That's matter right. the cost, be it to his colleague or to millions of people. It was, you know, I I follow orders, and that's yeah. that's what I do. Yeah. So amazing. Very nicely done, uh, now, Bishop. Yeah. If anybody has any idea what documentary that might have been, if you saw it, if you know of a title, we'd love to hear from you. Email us podcast at jerryanderson.com. But otherwise, that will bring us very neatly to the end of this week's... Ed Fact! Oh, I, I didn't what? even get time to no, think about it. you didn't, did you? No. Ed, Ed Fact was great. Yeah, it doesn't get much better than that, does it? Uh, now, no. uh, would you like to hear from our lovely Podstrons, Jamie? 
Oh, of course, yes, please. <laughs> OK, well, that's just as well, because I've got a few emails here uh, from uh, some of our lovely listeners who've been uh, emailing at podcast at jerryanderson.com. Uh, this is from Clive Lewis, who says, Greetings, Richard and Jamie, or Captain Black and Father Unwin. I'll let you decide who's who. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's got us thinking. Yeah, Clive says, I've just been reading an archive interview with Brian Cobby, one of the voices of the talking clock, who seems to frequently claim that he was the uncredited voice of the countdown sequence on Thunderbirds. Now, I always presumed this was Peter Dinely as he voiced Jeff, but I just wanted to ask Jamie if he can shed some light on this little mystery. F-A-B, S-I-G and deep joy, Clive Lewis. No, it was Peter Dinely. Brian Cobby claimed it for ages, but there's no evidence of that whatsoever. And he just said, uh, oh, yeah, it was, it was one of those jobs. I can't remember it, but I was brought in for a uh, hoodie. It makes well, no sense. can't remember it because it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, it makes, it makes no sense. And I think yeah. you can, you know, Brian Cobby had a very a lovely kind of deep baritone uh, Yes, I remember. Uh, you, you know, the sort of, because he, uh, he did the talking brown, clock. brown voice. Yeah, that's right, yes. Yeah. The third stroke, the time sponsored by Hackerist will be. That's it, yeah. I remember it terribly well. Anyway, uh, no, no, it was Peter, I'm sure it was Peter Dinerly. Yeah, Just, you know, right. One of those things. Uh, I'm glad to hear we've heard from Phil Steer, who says, Hi, Jamie, Phil Richard, Steer. and... Get this, especially Chris. Oh, nice. Well, Chris, right. unfortunately, isn't listening because he's, he's busy rigging up the rope for the dog yeah. tug of war, bizarrely. Fair enough. Uh, he continues, Reading the new edition of Filmed in Supermarination by Stephen LaRiviere, I learned that APF did not make the second series of 26 episodes of Torchy, which were instead filmed by British Pathé, as APF wanted to focus on their own series for Feather Falls. Does this mean we will be spared the second series of Torchy in the randomizer? Best wishes to you all and the Podstrons, Phil. Well, that's definitely one for Chris, isn't it? Um, it is, really. It's, it so, it's too yeah. busy, really, over there. But interestingly, and I, this is this is from our stuff in the documentary research, we, we heard a story from Roberta where she basically said that Dad and Arthur tried to sort of gazump her out of being involved in the second series and mm. they would do it themselves. Mm. Uh, so interesting right. i suppose it's one of those things where there's you know the two truths right yes uh, yes and the the actual kind of the honesty of it or the accuracy of it is somewhere in the middle yeah um, yeah it's definitely definitely a nicer story to say yeah we wanted to focus on our own things rather than yes we tried to um do it cheaper than she, she was willing to do it for yeah uh, you see i have a feeling we, in 10 or, yeah 10 or 20 years time people will be telling almost exactly the same story about this podcast Will and they? then we say, well, one Campbell was saying, well, of course, you know, Richard moved on to bigger things and he sort of took the podcast with him. And, uh, you know, so he brought Jamie out and went on to hire. And other people say, no, no, I think it was Jamie's idea. He wanted to take it a completely new direction. There was creative differences. And so they went on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. That's going to happen. Creative differences. That's uh, an everyday occurrence between you and I on this podcast. I mean, that I'm would sure. suppose that there's something creative there to begin with, wouldn't it? But anyway, uh, James Munro has emailed us to say hello to our fantastic hosts hope you're all keeping well as well as being a massive jerry anderson fan i'm also a great fan of audiobooks and dramas so this recent onslaught of audio adventures has been utterly amazing for me i let out a fangirl squeal when i heard thunderbirds versus the hood was going to include brains is dead i just can't wait for this brilliant and dark adventure and while jamie did say that these new adventures would be faster paced than the john thaden novels I do enjoy the epic feel of the 60s novels that the extra runtime gives to them. Listening to the trailer, mm. 
and the discussions in Pod 211, some questions did spring to mind. I know that the answers to some or all of these questions may be top secret, but if you can answer any of them or give even cryptic hints, I'm sure I and many of the listeners will appreciate it. It's not exactly a quick fire five, but here are five questions. Five. Okay. It's clear both adventures are going to be edited in order for them to work in audio. But also, Brains is Dead now stars Lady Penelope. So how extensive mm. are the edits going to be? Are the stories almost the same, barring some character changes, or is only the basic framework used? I would say at minimum the stories are 60% as they were, up to 90%. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes it's just to make them fit with kind of TV canon more. But what we discovered in Winter Keely stories, there are so many where Lady Penelope and Parker appear to be in their very early days or meeting Jeff for the first time uh-huh. or aren't involved with International Rescue, but it doesn't quite fit with the rest of the world at what's yeah, going on. Yeah. So yeah. we've kind of tried to make them involve as many of the characters as possible and fit with the telly canon. Mm. Four. Similar question to the last, but will the Vanishing Ray be edited to fit in with the canon of the other Thunderbird audio adventures? In Terror from the Stars, which is set after the TV show, International Rescue don't know who the Hood is, and the Hood doesn't know Lady Penelope. The comic version of the Vanishing Ray is set prior to the TV show, and International Rescue is aware of the Hood, and the Hood and Lady Penelope have their own confrontation. Hmm. Yeah, so we didn't, um, we we didn't and couldn't edit the books to change their content that much we were only able to change uh, references where they were getting the vehicle uh, stuff a bit wrong and various other mm-hmm. things where I guess John Thayden didn't, uh, didn't have accurate up to date reference mm. uh, so those were not changed whereas the audios are shifted more to be in line with, with TV stuff Three, will we get more Thunderbird audio collections featuring uh, a Lady Penelope story followed by an International Rescue one? If so, I'd love to hear Mr. Steelman, where Lady Penelope and Parker first meet, followed by City of Doom, which could also be known as International Rescue and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Great title. Um, <laughs> Isn't it? Snap no, it. There's no formula to to these pairings in terms of, oh, we're going to have a Lady Penelope one followed by an International Rescue one. It, it, it's just it worked out that way because we felt like these are the best intro to the to the style. I think the next one we've got coming up is, is two Thunderbirds adventures. Mm. Um, but yes, mm. let's see. Two... Are other shows going to have comic strips adapted? Will Richard James be returning for Zero X? Uh, <clears throat> Possibly, probably not zero X for the time being. It depends on how these go down. As with all these things, I think I said this last week, or certainly I've mm. said it recently. If you like what we're doing, yeah. then you can support that by buying the thing that we've done, uh, yeah. or you know at least spreading the word about it. The more that sell, the more we go. Okay, people do want this, and then we'll do some more. Mm. So that's sort of long and short of it, really. Yeah. And finally, one. Some of the Blu-ray releases have included audio adventures. Will a collection of those audio adventures ever be released for those of us without Blu-ray players? Uh, so I can definitely say that there's something XL5-y coming later this year, probably, mm. possibly, maybe, mm. um, if that helps. But mm. beyond that, so, you know, often we make these things for network, and uh, it's up to them what happens to them after that. Yeah, uh, and you know, but they've got they've got to be some kind of exclusive bonus feel for for buyers of the Blu-rays, of course. 
Yes, that's right. Uh, Phew, says James at last. Sorry for the long email. Hopefully it wasn't too long. Once again, keep up all your fantastic work. And P.S. I haven't started Space Precinct yet as I've been waiting to binge uh. it on my holidays, which are just one uh. day away at time of writing. Well, by time of reading, James, I should imagine you're either all the way through or part of the way through your Space Precinct marathon. So let us know how you're doing. Yeah. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. Thanks, James. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, all for now, but do keep your emails coming in to podcast at jerryanderson.com and I will do my best to read them out next time. You always do your best and it's always I lovely. do, I try. Yeah. Uh, Richard James, would you like some Jerry Anderson news? Oh, yes, pleasey, please, please, please. <laughs> um, I was trying to work out how to do that with OK. OK, then, <laughs> yeah. then, then, then. No, it doesn't really work. Well, no, um, I'd leave it. Yeah. All right, well, Jerry Anderson news then. Here we go. It's the Jerry Anderson news 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 100% that I would like to open this edition of the Jerry Anderson news with a special trailer for you Podstrons how would you like that sounds great well anything can happen in the trailer for anything can happen our 2022 audio annual here it is Anything Can Happen, Audio Annual 2022, read by Nicholas Briggs and Wayne Forrester. Aquacade Emergency. With a shuddering crash, the terrorfish hit the bottom. In the second before he lost consciousness, Troy saw the whole tail section of the aquafibian craft come away from the main body. And then the blinding flash of an explosion tore his hands from the rudder and rolled him backwards and over into numbing oblivion. Marineville must go. Launch Stingray! He yelled at Troy. Get out there and take up action stations facing this headquarters. I'm going to tell those characters that I'll blow them off the face of the earth if they try to take so much as one brick out of my command center. But Commander, pleaded Troy, you can't be serious. Five, four, three, Thunderbirds are gone. Thunderbirds. Aquaphobia. Engine screaming, he fought his way up and out of the trench. The ocean bed cracked and heaved, as if some primeval force was tearing and clawing away to freedom. Then he saw the sun, and he was on the surface, bucketing wildly in ten-foot waves beside the battered bathosphere. A pale, weak face appeared at the window, and Gordon gasped. Someone else, he snapped, trapped in the sphere. Four hours to eternity. I reckon that's the entrance. So for Pete's sake, tell Gordon to get his navigation right first time. The hands of the clock moved on. 
and the four hours were up. Inside the vault, the raiders would be gasping for their last ounce of oxygen. Captain Scarlet and the Mysterons, Mirror of Vengeance. The whole of the cockpit rocketed vertically as the computer fired the ejector. Up, up, up she soared. Below her, Angel One exploded in a vast orange flame. The attack had been a complete failure. Mirror One continued on its path of devastation. The Midas menace. Suddenly, the two SPVs which had just returned to position raced forward in a suicidal attack on the giant rumbling monsters bearing down in the gold vaults. With a metal searing crash, the lead SPVs rammed the front tank square in its tracks. The huge links of the caterpillar wheels bit deep into the SPV's front, pulling the vehicle down and under in a crushing, tearing action. Joe 90, the Cracksman. With Joe in the lead, the prisoners moved towards the main gate. It was just then that the guards arrived. Like black avenging angels, they dropped from the darkness of the prison walls upon the unsuspecting prisoners below. Long wooden truncheons flashed in the moonlight and heads cracked as the weapons met their mark. One of the first to go under the torrent of blows was Joe himself. Even a bit of Joe 90 there. Now, I will admit to having <laughs> cut that trailer myself. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the fact that it ends with Joe probably being, being beaten unconscious right. uh, shows no bias whatsoever. It was just an interesting bit of the story. I just wanted you yeah. to be sure yeah. that I wasn't, you know, being biased well, against the little... At least he made it in. I mean, that's something, isn't it? Exactly. I could have cut him. So, you know, there is only one Joe 90 story there and there's two of the others. So, uh, but I think that sounds very cool. Uh, you know, the, uh, Nick and Wayne are such great readers. It sounds brilliant. Yeah. So uh, there you go. That will be out later this month. Uh, and you can get the download version from Big Finish or the CD version from us uh, at the Jerry Anderson store. Operation Sabre, the mm -hmm. new New Captain <gasps> Scarlet graphic novel, is yes. now out. And if you pre-ordered it, it should be in your hands or certainly on the way. We had a great mm -hmm. launch event at Forbidden Planet this weekend, just gone mm -hmm. uh, in Belfast. And uh, so thank you to Chris, AC and Connor and the guys of Forbidden Planet for hosting us. It's a beautiful book. I'm super proud of the guys for putting it together. They've done a great job. It really looks lovely. It's a nice, chunky publication. And uh, we'd love to hear what you think of it. So if you have got your copy, make sure you review it. And we'd love to hear from you uh, on the podcast too, podcast at jerryanderson.com. Thunderbird 5 fans, your badge with backer card <gasps> available as an app-sclusive, which uh -huh. means it's only available by the app. It's shipping now. It's 50% sold out already. So if cool. you do want to get it to add to your collection, do not wait. We would hate for you to miss out. Just download the Ander app from your app store of choice, uh, and you can order it from there. It's your last chance to see Jerry Anderson and Life Uncharted on the big screen on the 23rd wow. of July at number eight, Pershaw in Worcestershire. So if you're anywhere near the Midlands and you missed it in Birmingham, do come along and see us there. They're doing a bit of a Jerry Anderson weekend and they've got a display and various other bits and pieces going on. So we hope to see you there for a live Q&A with me and Ben. But that'll be the last one with a live Q&A uh, this year, certainly. So um, 
There you go. And finally from me, not really Jerry Anderson news, but just a little thank you to all the lovely Podstrons who've sent me nice messages and tweets about my poor little dog, Ernie, who sadly passed away last week, which was very upsetting for me because he's been around for 14 years. And, um, you know, was was, dad was very fond of him, for example. He's, you know, been with me through thick and thin all over the country. Uh, So that was very sad. But lovely messages from you all. And a particular note to Penn Quiller. Thank you, Penn, who sent a lovely little kind of um i'm trying to think of the word uh it's a little quote Uh about pets and and their role in your life and it was really lovely so thank you all of you that's all though i'll stop talking mushy stuff now uh and we can return to jerry anderson podcasty things as usual so that i think slightly emotional note brings us to the end of this week's jerry anderson news that was the news dedicated to ernie news Oh, yeah. that's so sweet. Well, uh, as people Thank said you. on our podcast Facebook group, Jamie, the dogs are sometimes as much a part of the podcast as we are. <laughs> so, you know. I know. They probably yeah. have they have more impact with their noises and words than we do, that's for sure. <laughs> that's very true. Uh, talking of our Facebook group, let's head on over there and see what our lovely Podstrons have been up to. Now, here's another message from James Munro, who we had that lovely email from a moment ago, but he's also uh, now a member of our Facebook group and posted in the last uh, week or so. Great to hear Chiller from New Captain Scarlet on the randomizer. It was the first episode of New Captain Scarlet that I saw when I was tuning in my TV at uni. Ah, I was checking all the channels were correct, then paused when I hit channel four, thinking, what I just saw on ITV kind of looked like Captain Scarlet. So Mm. I flicked back and spent the next few minutes first trying to work out if it was indeed Captain Scarlet and being so thrilled when it was, followed by being very confused as to why Scarlet was a ghost in this version. Mm. Oh, yeah. I mean, I wonder if there were people who, you know, I suppose in those days it was much easier to miss all the publicity. It's it's also easy now, actually. But in those days, much easier to miss all the publicity about new series. And you might just flick on casually and see this strange programme that bore some relation to a programme you used to watch 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, Uh, same but different. Yeah, that's right. It's nice, isn't it? Tom Hodden posted a link to an article in the Sun newspaper. U.S. Navy accidentally releases unredacted UFO files, revealing drones buzzing warships before frantically deleting the files. The U.S. Navy has accidentally released a cache of unredacted UFO files, which show warships being buzzed by dangerous mystery drones. More than 60 pages on the encounters were uploaded by the military with the file name Proposed Redaction, suggesting the unaltered documents were not meant for public release. The documents reveal encounters with unknown drones flying over six warships from March to July 2019, something which has fueled the debate about UFOs in Washington, D.C. and among the Podstrons as to whether Derek Meddings had anything to do with it. <laughs> Always Almost blame certainly. Meddings if there's a UFO yeah. in the air. <laughs> exactly, that's right. But I love these stories. They seem to be popping up more and more these days, and I like it when people post it on our Facebook group. group uh, stories that could almost be from a Jerry Anderson series. I quite like that. Jonathan Westall. Uh, says he's pre-ordered Thunderbirds versus the Hood from the Jerry Anderson store. Really looking forward to hearing those stories. FAB. Robert Cassidy said, uh, pleased to reveal that another original Space Police prop 
will be joining my collection shortly. <laughs> this is the full-size Galactronics mask for Officer Harry, worn by Lynn Beardsall and her helmet. It went up for auction last week, incorrectly listed as Officer Bats, and I had my heart set on it, so ended up getting very competitive with another bidder who was actually there in person. I went over my mentally agreed limit and won out at the end for a cool £480. The nice. mask, says Robert, has had some minor restoration work in the past by a previous owner. I'll see what I can do about tidying her up, and I'm hoping the animatronics might be made to work again. But I doubt it. Well, that'd be cool, wouldn't it? Would be cool. Yeah, nice. Uh, Hannah says, uh, just listen to the latest randomizer, Danger at Ocean Deep. Chris Dale, I also wondered the same thing myself. If Jerry didn't like John, why did he allow him to get involved in this rescue out of the 26 episodes? I guess there are all sorts of reasons, but then again, John did appear a lot in Atlantic Inferno as well. I think I've heard or read somewhere that John was originally meant to be the main character before Jerry changed that role to Scott. I believe in this episode, we get a very tiny glimpse of what Thunderbirds might have been, maybe. Also, I wonder if there would have been another John episode if season two wasn't cancelled, but I guess we'll never know for sure. However, I enjoyed this episode, and it was one of those that I recorded on VHS, so it brought back some lovely memories. Isn't it funny how just committing something to tape back in the day... Yeah. Can bring back a sense of nostalgia. Yes, absolutely <laughs> right. Well, I was listening to the radio the other day and they were having a similar conversation, but about music, but it does also pertain to TV shows, I think. And it was all about how in your sort of early and late, well, throughout your teens, really, you're sort of in emotional flux or sometimes turmoil. So you, you grab onto things around you to help you through. And that could be music, it could be TV shows, it could be books, it could be whatever it might be. Uh, that's what helps you through. And that's why we look back with such fondness on those same things, you know, 20, 30, 40 years later. Yeah. Lovely, isn't it? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Funny brain wanting, wanting that uh, nostalgic comfort, but it's great. Yeah. That's right. Uh, Keith Gooch says, I've read Operation Sabre, and I have to say, in my humble opinion, it's the best Captain Scarlet comic strip of any iteration committed to paper. Great story by Chris Thompson. Great artwork by Connor Flanagan. Could have been the first episode of season three of the television series. Not to put anyone off, but if you look closely in one panel, Torchy the Battery Boy makes an ever so brief appearance. <laughs> really? One of many one of many Easter eggs that are in there. <laughs> yes. Great. Kurt Connor and the guys work to put in lots of little hints in there. It's rather lovely. Yeah. I like that idea that it's the first episode of season three as well. It really is the continuing adventures, isn't it? Which is great. Oh, absolutely. It really does feel like it. It's 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 really lovely. Yeah, you know. Yeah. It, even if you've not tried New Scarlet, I think you will you can love it. Yeah, uh, yeah, even as a classic Scarlet fan. So yeah. uh, do do get a copy if you're at all interested in comics and graphic novels. Thanks to Sean Raven, who posted a link on our Facebook group to this little gem from the BBC Archive Facebook page, which features Stanley Unwin interviewing Peter Hawkins, uh, who was the voice of many things, but in this instance of Bill and Ben. Now have a listen to this. Mrs Rawlins of Stoke asks, I've been watching the Flowerpot Men for a long time. With my children, of course. Who is the man who does the voices of Bill and Ben? His name is Peter Hawkins, and our special correspondent, who seems to be the very man to tackle him on the subject, asked him how long he'd been doing this sort of thing. Most remarkable. You know, this phenomenon of the larynx was done in the deep research of the curriculum of Upsalo. This is the university was turned the century gave forth in this. 
When was the first own personal discovery of uh, uh, that came forth from your throat, Chris? Oh, you look up about the tech, you look up I was working for Billigit. Billigit, we might have worked more on Billigit. Milliopdip, but a photovoy, photovoy. This is a typical demonstration of the range of through four or several octavi in the one uh, uh, chesky uh, di basso profondi. Uh. Now, this fundamental of deep joy should be manifest on very occasion. Can I ask a question, Lode? Oh, please. When you are doing a deep sleeve at <clears throat> half past broom in the early morning, or perhaps a siesta in the afternoon, do you find sometimes that there's a sudden waking up, not a nightmare or that sluffily before, that does this cut forth at those times at all? No, 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 no. No, 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 no. All sleep very cold, cold on a lovely, lovely, with the body waiting in a middle, lovely, 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 very tranquil, lovely, yes. Um, as a matter of fact, funny thing happened. I was watching uh, Ben and Bill one day, and Ben was doing a very fine tilty curtsy on the fulcrum, rotate And up came Bill, and a little left hook under the chin. Plop, 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 plop. Plop, 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 Sport. Do you find that the wooden tobbers or the flower poggers in them so self, are they deep interest in sporty? Shall we say a follow up in the football up the field, or a bogey through down the fairway oh. in a golf? Are they? Very oh, frequent. <laughs> Bloy, bloy, we bubble bubble and do our brubbles from Brussels. Well, good, yes, yes. Um, are they addicts insofar as they sit before four square and watch the television for a deep enjoying themselves? I mean, do they indulge in this? Tell you very little. Yeah, tell you very little. Tell you very little. Well, sitting before the square eyeball and overindulging most of the West and all these deep joys, do they suffer this? No. I just wondered. Oh, isn't you that see, lovely? Now, a question, <laughs> I don't know this, Jamie, but do you know, did uh, Stanley Unwin, uh, you know, he, he seems to come up with these phrases off the cuff, doesn't he? Mm. Do you think he prepared, I, I, we can't possibly know in that particular instance, but in scenes like that, do you think he actually scripted his words or was he able just to pull them out of his brain because he'd been doing it for so long? I think he did it for so long he could pull words out. Yeah, really. I mean, yeah. It's, you know, he must have over time... Just in the, in the early days, I guess, maybe, I don't know, but he would have walked around yeah. and seen things and thought of funny phrases for them and yeah. then used them repeatedly. Because yes. there's a definite consistency to his approach. Right. Um, and then I guess over time, it's like, you know, speaking back slang or pig Latin or whatever they call it. Yes. You just get used to it in the flow because there's yes. a formula to it. That's a very simple formula. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, oh, nice. I don't I don't know. Maybe, but maybe he did script everything really carefully. He will, yeah. will perhaps never know. Perhaps not, but if you know, do let us know, Podstrons. And finally, it's been a few weeks, so I think it's about time we uh, had a little quick visit to Tom Hodden's Quick Fire Five. Yay! <laughs> right, here we go. Uh, now, this is a special Bobber Job Quick Fire Five, so I should, I suppose, explain to our international listeners that Bobber Job was a sort of traditional week, I think, run by scouting organisations where Boy Scouts would knock on people's doors and uh, offer to do some work around the home for a bob, which I think was like 10p or something. Bobber Job week, it was called. So anyway, here we go with your Quick Fire Five, Jamie. Some of your favourite characters are off on their summer holidays, but fear not, we have scouted some exceptional talent to cover for them but choose wisely. Number one, the protectors have a vacancy for a globe-trotting millionaire, but who should they turn to? Scrooge McDuck or Mr Burns? <laughs> Scrooge McDuck. I mean, not what I was expecting at all, but OK. Uh, number two, Ed Straker has booked two weeks off, but who does he leave in charge at his office? Professor Quatermass or Fox Mulder? 
Oh, Mulder would be great yeah. in Shadow. Done. Wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, number three, Joe 90 has been signed up to the Mad Scientist School Exchange scheme. Whom should he intern for over the summer? Victor Frankenstein or Davros? Oh. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> Davros. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, number four. Moonbase Alpha needs a scientific advisor for a fortnight. Do they employ Dr. Bunsen and Beaker or Doc Brown? <laughs> Doc Brown. Yeah, He's the I closest to Barry Morse, I reckon. Wouldn't that be great? Great Scott. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Uh, number five. Finally, Jeff Tracy is off to a mindfulness retreat, but needs to leave Tracy Island in the hands of a competent caretaker. Should he choose Paddington Bear or Frank Spencer? <laughs> I think Paddington Bear is going to do a better yeah. job, isn't he? I think that would work. Yeah. There you go. That's this week's Quick Fire Five from Tom Holden. Thank you, Tom. Well, that was weird, and I feel like I may have heard the sound of that barrel being scraped right down near the bottom. Harsh. (laughs) No, I like that. That was sort of genre-spanning. That was good. I enjoyed that very much. It was very much so. Keep them coming Goodness in. Me. And listeners, if you'd like to present your own quickfire five for Jamie, do send it in to podcast at jerryanderson.com and I shall bamboozle him with your very own quickfire five. Standing by for mm. bamboozlefication. Yeah, uh, excellent. Yes, um, not that. Anyway, would you like to span uh, the genre of audio from uh, oh. two idiots talking to yeah. uh, the world of music and conducting? Yeah, well, I think we should definitely do that, yes. Okay, fine. Well, uh, that's perfect because our guest this week will be George Morton. Uh, If something has gone terribly wrong, then you'll find out after I've said this, but hopefully you'll be hearing from George Morton next. George Morton is a conductor and arranger whose experience in the world of music ranges from classical to cinematic to pop and beyond. Uh, He's been musical director for no less than five orchestras and written arrangements and orchestrations uh, for pieces by Beethoven, Debussy, Elgar, Holst, Tchaikovsky and many, many more. Plus... George has also conducted concerts based on the work of Charlie Chaplin, Alfred Hitchcock, and now, Jerry Anderson. So, here we go, Podstrons. Stand by for George Morton. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Hello, I'm George Morton, and I'm a conductor based in Sheffield in the United Kingdom. Um, I conducted most of the Jerry Anderson concert in Symphony Hall uh, at the start of April this year. And you did a bloody marvellous job of it. Oh, you're too kind, James. Well, I clearly did, because, uh, you know, it was a lovely evening. I know there are lots of listeners who won't have been able to make it, uh, but I'm sure we'll look forward to experiencing it on the soundtrack or the, the DVD Blu-ray, which we'll talk about later on. But, I mean, ju- just uh, as a kind of opening reflection of, of that event, how did it feel overall from your point of view, especially given the last couple of years of no events or limited events yeah it was just amazing wasn't it it's it's kind of i'm really looking forward to watching it back actually because it was such a whirlwind of a day um <laughs> yeah it was, it was just it just flew by in the best possible way actually it was so exciting and so fun and then yeah just to have a completely full symphony hall who were clearly so excited by the prospect of all this wonderful music and celebrating the work of your dad. And it was just, I, I don't know, when, when we're on stage, you can really feed off an audience's reaction to what you're doing. And even even before we played the first <laughs> Thunderbirds countdown, it was just absolutely thrilling. So yeah, yeah one experience. 
yeah it was it was it was a really really lovely audience so if you were there thank you for being so blooming lovely uh, yes absolutely george i'm going to drop you in it up front sorry to do that but a little oh, birdie okay. tells me that you wouldn't necessarily count yourself as an anderson expert so i think it's probably time that you uh Expose yourself there, perhaps, shall we say? Let me lay uh, my cards on the table, please. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, so, so how much Anderson stuff did you know? And there's no shame saying none at all. But how much did you know before you came to this? I mean, yeah, this is where podcast listeners are going to turn off in disgust at my next <laughs> answer, isn't it? I, I, of course, knew Thunderbirds. I knew Captain Scarlet and had heard of Stingray. Yeah, and that is my until the whatever in april date that we did the concert or just before then and yeah. was my biggest experience of jerry anderson uh stuff but we we had when i was a child we had tracy island so i was i was born in 1990 and so when i was very very young it was when they bought thunderbirds back yeah uh, it was early 90s wasn't it and then obviously the blue peter paper mache tracy island in the airing cupboard and i don't i don't yeah. remember it being made but my my dad says about how he made this trace island and it was in the airing cupboard for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks before it dried <laughs> which i think is probably experience for lots of people who made these trace islands yes but i yeah. do remember playing with it and i did have all of the little enamel toys of yep. the thunderbirds um, and we watched it quite a lot actually as well because because i think it was just just after the point where it came back to to the television yeah so it see this is really interesting for me because it's really sheer dumb luck uh, and that's nothing personal wh- whether somebody is born into an era when anderson stuff is in a in an up cycle or a down so mm-hmm. you being born in 1990 and i can again hear some podstrons some listeners going oh because you're so disgustingly young uh, I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> it's fine we'll we'll let you off uh, on this occasion george but you know, uh, Thunderbirds came back really big, 91, 92. You were too young for that, absolutely. So by 3, 4, 5, say 95, it was back on a downtrend by the time you were getting up to be old enough to watch it. Uh, and then by the time it came back in 2001 again, I mean, 11, 12, you were probably too cool for Thunderbirds at that point. You strike me as, you know, the sort of person who might consider themselves as I mean, too I'm cool. I mean, I'm not sure I was like ever too cool, but maybe, maybe yeah. <laughs> But do, do you know what they like? We did. We definitely, when I was a child, we definitely had Thunderbird toys and we played a lot. Yeah. And and actually, funnily enough, I was speaking to some old, some old friends of mine last night, and they've got a, a five year old, and he's obsessed with Thunderbirds. Yeah. And obviously, it's it's not on on television regularly now, is it? So it's no. it's clearly not a yeah. It's not just a, a passing fad, is it? That's the thing. No, no. So it's, I mean, it survives whether or not it's, you know, it's big at the time, which is amazing. Uh, but you can, yeah. uh, basically, I'm just saying you can be fully excused for Thank only you. having a passing acquaintance with uh, with Stingray, for example. That's good. Um, <laughs> so but then, then when you're then faced with, okay, George, so we're going to, we're going to do this concert and there's whatever it was, 38 pieces, some crazy number of pieces from this body of work associated with this one particular guy. I mean, where, where do you start dealing with a challenge like that when it's not even like, okay, well, here's the work of one one composer or one band or anything like that. It spans decades. It spans styles. Where, where the hell do you start when faced with that? That's a really good question. Well, I, I mean, it was such an interesting kind of concept because as you say, there were so many different pieces of music and so many different programs and films and stuff we were we were performing to Mm. so 
so it was it was it was actually fascinating to start with just just watching through everything and just to hear the kind of how the music changed yeah from the very early stuff all through the Barry Gray and then on to the later composers Richard and Crispin and so on and then actually just to see the how the the techniques of what your dad and the company did was fascinating because obviously I, I I had a very strong image in my mind of what Thunderbirds was and what Captain Scarlet was. And then you can see the really early days of that, can't you, in the first, was it Twizzle, the very first one? Yeah. Yeah. All the way back there. And, and obviously, because in, in the show, for the those listening who, who weren't able to join us in Birmingham, we'll see from the, from the Blu-ray and the DVD, we, we start at the very beginning, don't we? We move all the way through the Jerry Anderson and celebrate all of that body of work. And to see it kind of, adapt and change but it's still it's still very recognizable mm. all the way through and so that was the, the process for me started with yeah following the scores through and just watching everything and it's, it's it was quite hard to start <laughs> with the first because <laughs> you're like you, you, you try and look at the score and, and follow and figure out what's happening but also it's just so much great stuff going on on screen mm. like you don't you, you it's don't, a bit distracting a bit distracting yeah <laughs> and, and then, yeah and and so so i guess it was my process for putting together pieces of music to moving picture stuff is it's a, a first watch in just kind of completely naive to everything. Just watch yep. through. Don't worry. Don't kind of stress about the music and then go back and, and bit by bit by bit, work it up. Unfortunately, I guess very fortunately, all these, these tracks that we did were quite short. I think the longest one was four and a half minutes. So it was never at the point where it was learning kind of like a 10, 15 minute score for something. Yeah. And it was in little tiny chunks. So <laughs> I'll do, I'll do a couple of cues and then have a coffee and then go back and do another couple of cues and have another coffee and somehow worked through there. <laughs> and is I, then is it, is it, I, I mean, I, I am very basically musically trained, right? I mean, we're talking like grade five piano and grade eight flute many years ago. Oh, that's uh, not that basic, Jamie. That's it, pretty good. It, it becomes more basic with time going on and when you don't play right, those yeah, things anymore. Uh, okay, so, <laughs> but, so I've got a kind of tiny idea in my head, but there'll be lots of people who don't really know anything at all about the process of this. So you, you watch the stuff, you get a feel for it, and then what is it as a conductor that you're looking out for? What become the big challenges? What become the key things to hit? And what what are you scribbling on scores? Uh, gosh, what a question. So for this for this show, the Standby for Action concert, it's it was all on click track for me. So mm-hmm. I had a, a click in my ear, as you know. And so that that makes it much easier in a sense that that I can start each cue in the right place, basically. Yeah. So I'm not just guessing where to start and, and thinking <laughs> and the, the, the correct tempos, the correct speeds yeah. are, are generally there. But then I, I don't tend to rely on the click that much because because a click's very inhuman, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's not got that like, kind of lovely... Because when you listen to how these soundtracks were recorded, they were naturally played by people, they, the earlier ones, particularly with the orchestras. Yeah. And... And when you listen to all kind of film soundtracks over the years, like if you listen to the early, early Hollywood stuff in the thirties and forties, it was, it was absolutely world-class musicians doing it. And so the last thing we want is to make it robotic and feel like yeah. it's absolutely. So, so the click, the click helps, but then my, for my 
personal process, and I think we all do it different as conductors, but I find places on the screen that are kind of sync points. So for a lot of the, the show that we did in Birmingham, it's kind of opening credits, wasn't it? So there'd be a point yeah. where there's a definitive directed by or music by or something that would come yeah. on the screen. And so that would go into my score, exact point in the in the score in the bar where that should sync up. And if it syncs up, then happy days. If it doesn't, then I can adjust the next few bars slightly and get that in. in. Quick, quick, quick. So that's the process. And it's, it's funny because... I'm doing, uh, I've done a few Charlie Chaplin films mm. a, a while ago now, actually, but I'm doing another one this year. I'm just starting looking at the score again. And it's it's exactly the same process. There's no click track for that, but it's the same process of just watching, working through, figuring out where things sit, where I've got time to to give, rubato, we call it, like to, to give yeah. time to things and to move things around a little bit and make it really kind of human music making. And then where there's time to go, actually, no, this needs to go... T- straight away my beat my tempo <laughs> and, that, and i think i think that worked in in the jerry anderson show really nicely actually in the standby fraction um concert because because there's so much lovely expressive music and there's so much fun in all of the scores there's none mm. of the scores not like turning the page in the concert and thinking what's next I didn't turn the page and go, oh no, that's not this one. There's the, every single one, like <laughs> genuinely, genuinely, every single one had something magical about it. Yeah, all the way through from those from those original Barry Gray, the songs and the the music, all through to the last Captain Scarlet, um, the new Captain Scarlet music, yeah. and uh, Richard's music. I mean, I didn't conduct Richard Hardy's piece sadly because Terrorhawks is fantastic, isn't it? But all of that music <laughs> is so fun. It's just got yeah. elements. Oh, brilliant! Loved it. <laughs> Can you tell? Well, we can see that you're having fun up there, I think, despite it probably being quite an exhausting thing. I mean, yeah, yeah, understandably, yeah, it's pretty relentless, right? But in that preparation process, though, I, you know, and there's no bad thing to say that any one piece or many of these pieces might have been particularly daunting, I guess. But did you go through and think, oh, OK, this is going to be this is this is the one in any in any kind of race, in any piece, in any whatever, whatever you do in life where there's kind of effort exerted there's a bit of it which is going to be the most challenging right so in in this what piece yeah. or pieces were the most challenging it was and why? towards the end of the con it was towards the end of the concert as well which was the thing because <laughs> obviously when you do a concert you think you want to get the hearts out of the way and then it but no i mean it's funny the second half of the show started with this amazing medley of music and it was, it was the the film was a tribute to your dad wasn't it and and it was just beautiful the legacy music um yeah. barry gray and that was just and that was the one where i could just relax and it was all so mm. lovely and just there was no there's no stress about getting things in time there was no stress about trying to to figure out there's to figure out weird time signatures and stuff like that but then then later on the new captain scarlet score crispin merrill's amazing piece of music but <laughs> something that is an absolute pig to conduct and play and, and because what what Chris does he, he writes so well for for what's what's on screen and, and yeah. it's got so much character to the music but the big kind of theme to New Captain Scarlet is in seven eight times so it's yeah. not kind of standard and generally I mean I don't know if podcast listeners will have a clue what I'm talking about at this point but generally if something's in seven counts in the bar it's split up into one two one two one two three one two one two 
and generally stays the same. Crispin moves where that stress on the beat is, every other bar and where it is, and so it just. <laughs> And so, so that was one where it's, it's approaching, and then that's the one where I turned over in the in the concert and went, "Oh no, this is now, this is now I've got to concentrate." <laughs> on. And then immediately after that was the the Hood and the Fire Flash from the Thunderbirds episode, Trapped in the Sky, and it was yeah. that medley of Trapped in the Sky music, which is just also some of the best music that Barry Gray wrote. But yeah. trying to sync all of that up with all of that, uh, the landing jet, isn't it? And then yeah. the the whole because it's the it, it went seamlessly from that into a march into the into the very end music of the of the, the show and it's just, yeah, yeah the piano yeah which beautifully played by Gemma the piano player it was just yeah. stunning so yeah so, uh, <laughs> it was that point in the show it was, I loved every second don't get me wrong but it's then you turn over the score and go ah oh, this is now it's now time to to, <laughs> to not think about anything else not think about what I'm going to have for my first drink at the end of the concert, what 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 they're dressed like in most three of the audience? Because by the way, everybody came was dressed amazingly. Yes, yeah, absolutely, and, then, and the orchestra, uh, this, and the orchestra, of course, yeah. And so that was the time to, to actually really hundred <laughs> percent focus. <laughs> yeah, I bet that was challenging. Although I get the feeling that by the time you get to the lounge kind of piano piece, that to me has had the same kind of feeling as the legacy piece once it going like a certain kind of swinging ease to it right so once you got there you must have felt like oh phew okay we're just into the flow now exactly and also that large piano piece until the very last 20 seconds 10 seconds of it is just was just Gemma on piano and oh, thanks, so Gemma. I, I didn't actually <laughs> I, I like it's, it's one of those magical moments where it's got to sync up somehow to the picture a little bit because we've got to end at the right place and yeah at that point it was a bit like legacy again it was lots of lovely images of you and your family and your dad which i haven't seen i didn't see it because i I was rushing around the back backstage to do something because people were like oh that stuff over the piano was so lovely and i didn't see it it was beautiful (laughs) oh man You'll have to. Have you not I'm seen it back? Have you not well, we're, we're working on the DVD now, so I'm I'm okay. watching it back now. So I'm I'm not up to that yet. But when we get there, I'll uh, yeah, oh, I'm you'll enjoy you'll it. You'll love it. It's it's just it's beautiful. <laughs> and, and and the thing is, it's it's one of those amazing moments where where in the rehearsal, Gemma played it, and I'd not even given her any instruction or anything. She just sat there and played it, and it worked perfectly. Mm. And I didn't have to do anything and just stood and listened. And it was it's just amazing, amazing piano player and so musical. And it worked so nicely with all of that, and it was that was what was so nice. I mean, it'll that'll be on the Blu-ray, will it? That yes, that track, yeah, great, and on the DVD. Yeah, and so so listeners will hear it's it's again, it's a bit like a snapshot of the whole concert, wasn't it? Because it went very early in your dad's career, right through, and shown pictures. I won't spoil it too much, but all of these amazing pictures of his life. Yeah, and just to some of the best music that Barry Gray wrote. So. Yeah, perfect pairing there. Yeah, right? by that point, really I could then start thinking about the post-concert drink. <laughs> and, <laughs> and what it. was your first post-concert drink, George? I think I had a can of beer, <laughs> which is very unglamorous. That's it? very classy. Yeah, that was me expecting yeah, you to be well, on I the burner. I was no, well, no, I was very, very thirsty, and because it was ah. hot and yes yeah so and I, and actually, it was um, it was lovely because because Richard Harvey conducted the last couple of numbers on in the yeah. in the show so i could just stand at the side of the stage with with john Coshaw and and sit and enjoy it so by that point it was great 
<laughs> yeah, that's the way to do is, it, isn't it? This is what it's about, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, let's hope he turned up. Well, we'll know next week, I suppose, when we look back. Anyway, Richard James, have you got anything yeah. else around the world? Uh, Chris is about to yes. drop the flag on his uh, doggy tug of war. <gasps> right. Okay, well, let's head on over to our YouTube channel where all sorts of things are uploaded every week, of course, from uh, primers and teasers to trailers for new content to uh, old episodes to watch for free. For example, underneath the Operation Sabre trailer, Pat Waters, actor and movie reviewer, posted, I love that the cover art is a homage to the original Captain Scarlet opening sequence. Mag Sull said, oh, this is terrific news. I hope we'll see more in the future. Psst. House of Dolls, says Magsell. Uh, Dan the Man, 2150 AD, says, Always love Wayne Forrester when he comes back to do Anderson projects. I love his voice. He easily made Scarlet his own. Following Francis Matthews was no small feat, and yet he did it anyway. Very excited to get my copy from Anderson Insiders, as new Captain Scarlet has gone up in my estimation since I got it on Blu-ray. I can't wait to see what comes next. And Mark H finally says, Oh, available on my birthday. How nice. I might look into this. I love the trailer. S-I-G. So that seems to be going down rather well, doesn't it? Yeah, well, happy birthday for uh, Sunday Just Gone, in that yeah, case. Yeah, lovely. Yeah, that's good. Uh, uh, we've got a little Fab Facts video up at the moment for the about the influence of Captain Scarlet's Spectrum Pursuit Vehicle. Uh, you remember we were talking about how it had inspired the design for the lacy, rugged hard drives that I know a few of you have out there because you posted pictures to me. Uh, Louise Way said, I, I also I have a toaster maker, uh, a, a toasty maker that's similar to the <laughs> lacy, rugged drive. In a similar yeah. vein to the Tom Scott stuff, I got that toasty maker after watching a YouTube video by people Tom Scott has worked with previously, being Barry Lewis and Stuart Ashton. It's a microwave toasty maker by Morphe Richards. Nice. Well, Look maybe there's some influence there. I love the idea yeah. of a toaster maker, though. It's like a, thr- <laughs> like a, a 3D... It's, it's a little, yeah. little Britain-esque thing. If you want to buy a pet, yeah. go to a pet shop. If you want to go buy a pet shop, go to a pet shop shop. Uh, yes. It's like a, yeah, That's a toaster right. maker. That's right. mm. yeah. Yeah, but I should yeah, just clarify, toasty maker. <laughs> oh shame no, just, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, Robin Large says I have an orange squeezer that looks just like a bit of Thunderbird 1's hangar mm. uh, Cyberleader Andy that. says a lot of crew yeah, on airliners have rear facing seats uh, possibly so they can see passengers on landing but also I assume for additional safety reasons yeah, uh, Yorkshire says if you were in the RAF entering date 1978 you would probably have uh, got a flight in the VC-10 and the seating for passengers faced backwards uh, and Wumble 1981 says, well, good child seats are rear-facing. Yeah, true. This is because of the, uh, the discussion about just uh, how safe or practical are rear-facing uh, seats. But, uh, yeah, not that uncommon, apparently. Yeah. Oh, there you go. You learn something new every day here on the Jerry Anderson Podcast, whether well, you like it or not. You say that every day, <laughs> maybe once in a blue moon. Well, once in a blue moon here on the Jerry Anderson Podcast, whether you like it or not. Okay, there we go. Uh, now, uh, I don't know if you can see, but the dog's taken the strain. Yes, they are. Yes, that's good. And, uh, yeah, uh, the flag's dropped. And yep. uh, the doggy tug of war is underway. I thought that Chris is perhaps going to use this to just to uh, pick the random episode this week. But it mm. seems it's just for his own enjoyment. And I can tell you now that it looks like Sauce's team is winning. Sauce is my little fat miniature Daxon, so she's got <laughs> the upper hand when it comes to weight. A uh, little final surge from the youngsters on the left-hand side. But no, no, Sauce, uh, Winnie well, and well. Minnie have won yeah. the day. Great. Uh, an incredible Amazing. performance. Um, Chris has just raised Sauce up, Lion King style, uh, in, in, you know, a celebration. Oh, yeah, um, uh, Chris, I think this is getting yeah. a bit of a... <laughs> 
It's a bit of a distraction, this, Chris. I think we should probably get on with the, the Joey Anson content rather than the dogs, please. So, okay. Yes, he's, he's nodding. He looks slightly ashamed. Quite right, too. So, uh, Chris is now, he's finished with his doggy tug of war. It's time for the randomizer where he has a random machine. No, it's a machine called the randomizer with a big red button. He presses to randomly select a random episode of Random Joey Anson show and he talks about it, hopefully without doggy interruption. So, here we go with the dog free randomizer. Bit random. Right, I think that was the last of the boundary fences cleared, no problem. Ah, there they are. Hello there. I am Alicia, keeper of the penal colony of Entra. I trust you had a smooth landing. Oh yes, very smooth, thank you. Ah, there she is. Hello, Marina. Finally had enough martial arts training with the entrance. I'm not sure how I feel about you in red. It's your nature to be discontent, to cause trouble. Oh no, not at all. I'm very grateful to you for looking after her for me. Well, it would have been such a waste. Yes. Right, well, we'd best be off then. Uh, Come along, Marina. Why should you wish to rush from my presence? Uh, Stay with me, and you will experience undreamed of pleasure. Ah, yes, well, I wonder what you could mean by that, eh? What is there to wonder about? Uh, Why do I get the sense that my remaining alive depends on the next words out of my mouth? Remaining alive is dependent on your entertainment quotient. Entertainment? Oh, well, if it's entertainment you want, I'm the man to see. There is justice when one earns it. Yes, and I think I know just how I can earn it. Elysia, would you do me the very great honour of pressing the button on the randomizer today? To deny you that would be to deny you the freedom of speech, would it not? That's it, thank you. We have refreshments waiting. Oh, well, why didn't you say? Oh, oh, well, that puts quite a different complexion on things. What choice would you have made? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, right, let's see what we've got today. Um, oh, okay. Well, today's episode is from Four Feather Falls. It, it can't always be high action and adventure, you know. Oh, no, of course not. I do understand. Yes, uh, but maybe we will get some excitement as we watch Dusty Becomes Deputy. How fortunate that you never cease to amuse me. <laughs> the four feathers on this hat are magic. They enable Tex Tucker's dog and horse to speak, and his guns to fire without him even touching them. And now, another exciting adventure from Four Feather Falls. Here we are, back in Four Feather Falls already. We were only here. Um, it doesn't feel like it was too long ago. It was, in fact, six weeks. So, um, you know, time time feels odd on the randomizer. I don't know why I said that. It's quite early in the morning as I record this. Anyway, I'm always glad to see more Four Feather Falls episodes come up on the randomizer. I don't feel the show gets enough love. I so hope it gets a Blu-ray release sometime this century. And what do we have today? Dusty becomes deputy. Uh, wasn't he already deputy? If, if not, he should be, because he's uh, one of the more sensible people in the town. Let's find out. This is episode eight, at least in the order that uh, I have them on my hard drive here. And a very trustworthy and not at all suspicious character has wandered into the bank. $5,000 in gold there, Mr. Jackson. And that's not a suspicious amount to deposit. Safe with you till I move on to St. Louis. Well, 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 my, my, my. You sure hit it rich, Bill. Yep. And this is quite early on in the show's run. As I said, it's episode eight, and it's at that point where some of the regular puppets aren't quite there yet, and you can see that in Mr. Jackson's eyes. He looks like... 
Your goal will be safe enough with well, me. Well, he's got eye bags and eyelids that I'm not sure he he always had. <laughs> well, so long. He rather looks startled. Thanks. Anyway, five thousand in gold. So long, Bill. Has been deposited at the bank. Why don't we rob Bill Asher of his gold before he take it into the bank? Yeah, that would have made sense. Oh, our, our two favourite uh, amigos. You know, he got gold. Are on the case of the uh, the gold deposit. No, Fernando, you gotta have brains. I got the brains. It's all figured out. I'm the brains. You're the looks. Oh, here we go. Dusty is sitting in on Tex performing. Rig Rig Rackety Train. And this is a song where there's one episode where you actually see the train. Actually, there's probably several, but the one I'm thinking of, they show the fireman that Tex mentions, and uh, something very funny happens when they show him. I won't spoil it because I want to save it for when we eventually get there. It goes choo choo. Boop, boop. Yeah, as this is a very early episode. It looks like we're just confined to Tex's office for this song. I suppose in the early days that's all you could really expect, and then as the show progresses, um, they find more imaginative ways to convey the songs, like seeing the train, or indeed, uh, oh, Dusty's dancing on the desk, uh, or, or seeing um, Tex uh, singing in the bath. There's a funny old fireman. Rocky was at the window there as well, joining in on the song. Along the track, it goes choo choo. I haven't finished yet. The music's still playing technically. Come on, Dusty. Let's lock up and go eat. We. Got any sheriffing to do around these parts today, boss? Yeah, kind of quiet tonight, ain't it, Rocky? I guess not. Like we was gonna have a storm. Oh dear, I do hope not. If there's one thing I dislike, it's a. Oh, it's the theme tune. Lightning. Oh goodness, I. Oh, briefly. I, 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 I think I heard I... the piano. The opening of the theme tune. Is there another episode of Four for the Fall starting down the street? Is Texas clone down there waiting to be shot at? Dusty. Look, that's no lightning. Oh, no. That's a prairie fire. That's a fire very much on the set of the uh, the model town there. Or the, the puppet scale town, I should say. You stay here. I'm going to round up some of the boys and get out there just as quick as I can. Mm. But you can't go without me. A fire ain't no place for you, Dusty. But, boss! There's nothing you can do there, old timer. Oh. Anyway, with all that gold in the bank, somebody's going to be in charge while I'm gone. And I'm sure nobody in town will think it's suspicious if I leave you in charge. Oh, Dusty. Yes, boss. Seeing as how you're going to look after things for me, I hereby appoint you to be deputy sheriff of Four Feather Falls. Yes, finally. Gee, thanks, boss. Oh. I'll keep the peace while you're gone. Of course he will. I have utmost faith in his capabilities. <laughs> That noise you can hear is him banging his nose against the cord of the uh, blinds over the window in the office, because he's that bored already. Doggone it! If that no-good yellow-livered polecat is here, he's sure up to no good. Yes, so we now we see Pedro's plan, which was to start the fire, and while Tex and the boys are out dealing with it, 
he and Fernando sneak into town and get the gold. All right, you got a brains, but we don't got a shack anymore. All right, all right. So, we're burning at a shack, huh? <laughs> How many... Didn't they... Did, what, wasn't it the last time we saw them, the, the roof of their shack caved in? Now they've... They started the fire. Destroyed it completely. Money out of town. In order to get gold. That bill's gold. Uh, with which they could presumably buy more shacks to later destroy. That's making my head hurt. Anyway, Dusty is on the case, as you might expect. He's a very good boy. Gotta do something. I'm the deputy. Yeah. Supposed to keep the peace. Yeah. The boss. That's it. I gotta go after him. I gotta warn him. Hmm. Well, everything's under control now, Rocky. I guess we'll be heading for home. The oh, moment. this is interesting. There's a, a smoke overlay on the uh, the puppet footage here, rather than actual smoke on the puppet set. You can tell it's not really there, because as the camera was moving up and down, uh, following Rocky's head movements there, the smoke wasn't moving with it. I still can't figure it. How come the shack burned down, and no sign of Pedro and Fernando? Well, I guess they're dead. Oh, we sure lost a beauty sleep tonight, old-timer. Oh, no. And Dusty will have hit the hay long ago. Oh, no, no, no. Tex put his hat in the tree, and as he retrieved his hat, one of the magic feathers fell out. Gotta get to the bush. And I bet, I bet you, that's going to be the one that helps him understand what Dusty is saying. We're going to be rich. <laughs> What's the first thing you are going to do with all that money. Or buy another shack. The first thing I gonna do, <laughs> I gonna buy me a new hat, huh? <laughs> oh, new hat, always new hat. We're also, um, Pedro and Fernando are standing by their horses, and um, they've both horses have got their bottoms to the camera. One keeps lifting its tail. Uh, if you've spent any time around horses, you know that's not a good sign. But nice that they went to the, uh, the effort of stringing up the horse's tail. Did you hear that, Rocky? Sounds like Dusty. Hmm. Something must have happened. There he is. I love the way Dusty walks. I think in in the world of unconvincing Super Marionation puppet walks, they don't come any more unconvincing than Dusty, and it's totally adorable. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Dusty, don't get so excited. That was the feather that he lost. Saying, which kind of begs the question, you know. What's the matter? We heard Dusty talking in town while Tex and the others were out of town. Is there, like, a range on these things, or...? Okay, you're right, it's gone. I guess it's just so long as they're in Tex's hat. That That's all that matters. Ooh. Oh. We found it? Yay! Dusty found it. He's a, he's a good dog. He's got a very thin neck, though. Oh. What is it, Dusty? Now tell me. Pedro Fernando, they started the fire to get you out of town. Gently, Dusty. You gotta do something, boss. You gotta. He's, he's, yeah, he's going as quickly as he can while still maintaining uh, concise, concise detail and uh, precise diction there. And Pedro and Fernando very slowly making their way towards the bank. Um, I thought when Tex said he will round up some of the boys to help put out the fire, I thought that would be people like Dan Morse and Slim Jim. Nobody else seems to be involved except him and uh, Rocky. It's Pedro. You come out and bring the gold, or we bust the place wide open. With our horses' faces. Yes, yeah, some more very derpy horses. 
that look like they've... Um, Mr. Jackson! Well... You want us to come in and get you? One day I'm going to set up a gallery of Fourth of the Falls horse faces. Where you after? They're quite spectacularly... Uh, no, no, don't shoot, Pedro. ...dopey looking. No, 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 don't shoot. <laughs> no, Mr. Jackson. Oh, this guy's back. Don't let him get my gold. Don't let him get my gold. What do you mean? Don't do that thing that I say. It'll be my gold now. Five long years I worked to get that gold, and you ain't gonna take it away from me. This formerly trustworthy-looking character has now got a knife. Very slowly advancing on Pedro. Everyone's doing everything very slowly this week. I ain't gonna let you take that gold, Pedro. You'll have to kill me first. Mm. <laughs> Certainly, senor. <laughs> Anything you say. Oh, he's so obliging. This guy just keeps slowly walking. Oh, of course, Tex is back in town. Tex Tucker! I warned you to keep out of this town, didn't I? Yeah. Seems now I'll have to teach you a lesson. That you'll absolutely certainly learn from, and I'll never have any trouble with you ever again. Don't do it. Oh, here it comes. Hat time. I ain't got many hats left. <laughs> I called it. That's it. Shoot the hat. Oh. <laughs> you were only fooling, Sheriff, huh? <laughs> Very narrowly, uh, Mr. Shooting Pedro's brains out there. My beautiful hat, after all. Muchas gracias, Sheriff. Pedro will not bother you again. Ah, so, a happy ending for Pedro in that he only lost the top half of his hat. He didn't lose the whole thing. And that was uh, Dusty Becomes Deputy. Well, for a title, Dusty Becomes Deputy, I was kind of hoping we might get more of a focus on Dusty, perhaps with a scene at the end saying, well, old timer, you really came through for us there and uh, really saved the day. But um, no, it didn't seem to be particularly Dusty-focused, unfortunately, uh, which is a shame because... That is a character that I really like. And, uh, yes, um, you can hear in the background um, a bird. <laughs> That's Silver. Uh, I, I, as this episode wasn't going to be very long, I didn't do anything to silence him or move him. But you can tell he's got some strong feelings on this episode as well. So a thoroughly you know, average episode of Four Feather Falls kind of wanted a bit more dusty action, really. It seemed like a shame that he didn't... Um, it didn't get more to do at the end there, unfortunately. Yes, I'm telling them! Oh, dear. Ah, uh, Four Feather Falls. Four, four Feather, feather falls. falls. There's always magic in the air. Oh, uh, whenever you're in town, they'll never let you down. They'll always find a vacant yeah, yeah, chair, yeah, yeah, as yeah, they yeah. say. And an, amazingly, there's a very dog-themed episode this week. Yes, with Dusty yes. becoming deputy. So, yes. Uh, well, that's I, rather I feel appropriate, like perhaps. Chris... Uh, but did he did he did he fiddle the results there? I don't know. I'm Ooh. I'm suspicious. But I'm not casting aspersions or whatever the mm. phrase is. But um, mm. yeah. Anyway, mm. thank you, Chris, for a lovely four for the falls there. I'm sure there'll be a truly random randomizer next week while you're doing your usual random stuff. Um, yes, that's it. Is right. it? Yes. Is there more? I you think got that's it. To say, I mean, do you no, wanna... I've got nothing else. No, I've spent. Up? I peaked. I'm done. Okay, fine. Well, the dogs are all exhausted here. They've collapsed in exhaustion. So is Chris. So I think it's all time that we went and took a break, don't you? Yeah, let's do that. And give our listeners a break too. They deserve it, yeah. Uh, make sure you email us, podcast at jerryanderson.com with any questions, thoughts, concerns, considerations, or amusing uh, stories. 
Or, or bon depressing ones, I suppose. A little bon mot would be great, yeah. Uh, and make sure to leave us a, a rating, as Richard it ordered you to do at the front of this podcast rather I than did. now. <laughs> uh, and also, you can reach us on uh, on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Jamie Anderson. He's oh. at Richard N. James. Chris, the dog tug of Warmeister, uh, is at Chris Dalek. And make sure you use the hashtag Jerry Anderson Podcast so we can find your tweety tweet tweet tweets. Yes, I have to say, we've had a bit of a dearth. No, it, actually, is dearth the right? The drought. We've had a bit of a drought on the old Twitter uh, tweetings. So uh, come on, if you're on Twitter, give us oh. a mention, hashtag us, let us know that you're listening to us, and I'll, I'll read some tweets out next week. Brilliant, yes. More Twitty Plops, as uh, mm. Unwin would probably say if he Undoubted. was uh, on this talking about tweets. Anyway, uh, right, let's go. Let's leave them to it. You have yeah. a great week, Podstrons, and we'll be yeah. in your ears next time for Pod 214. Bye. See you then. Bye. Let's go. Spectrum is green. I think that's the first time at the end of a podcast that I've actually waved. I don't know I why I did that. I saw you waving. No, I don't know why you did that. I think it's but no one's watching, Jamie. Mm. I mean, you know, that's why I just do it sometimes <laughs> in my dressing gown. I got really yeah. into their farewell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, or even out of it, which is yeah. even more terrifying. Uh, that has happened. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Do you, do you want to see my T-shirt that I'm wearing today? Uh, yeah, go on then. Uh don't Can you wake me up until I'm having the coffee. Yeah, nice. Yeah. And it's a very good, accurate likeness of you on there as well. Well, it's actually uh, by a designer, in inverted commas, called Marcus Pork, uh, oh, yeah, who is right. a social media sensation. Ah, um, I see. Yeah, very amusing. And I, yes. I bought it because I did think I like coffee and it, just, it looks a bit like me. Yeah, so uh, he, he could be it's my true. sort of uncle, I, I reckon, in the way that he uh, he looks. Anyway, enough of that. Okay. You you're mm. wearing a Gallifrey T-shirt. You're totally off brand. At least mine looks I like me. Sorry. Whereas you're on blooming Doctor Who. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, sorry about that. Yes, I will uh, catch you next time and make sure you uh, do have a better choice of clothing, please. Thank you. Oh well, I'll I'll look for my uh, my uh, my uh, Joe Ninety top. How's that? <sighs> Goodbye, Richard. Oh well, that went down well. Bye. You have been listening to the Jerry Anderson Podcast. Wasn't it fun? You have been listening to an Anderson Entertainment production.